This is the Reformed-ish podcast. My name is Charles, and I'm here with my co-host Kevin, and our guest for today, Isaac Adams. And we're here to talk about the gospel, the Reformed Christian life, and everything in between. Episode number three. So the title for our episode today is Race and Church. Isaac, we're so excited to have you on, brother. Uh, give us a quick background on yourself, what you do, how you came to know the Lord, and also how and why you first started getting involved in working and talking about racial reconciliation in the church. Amen. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's yeah, good to be here good with to you guys. Be here, yeah. <laughs> it's nice for someone else to be having to do all the podcasting work. I just get to sit here. You're our first guest, by the way. Wow. This is, thank you. I wasn't, there was no pressure before, and now there's plenty. So um, let's see. Uh, just quick background DC native. Um, uh, thought I was a Christian from a young age, went to a tiny reformed Christian school. So it's good, I guess, that I'm on the Reformed-ish podcast. Uh, But then clearly it was clear later on uh, that I was sincere but self-deceived. So when I went to college, uh, the Lord broke into my life uh, very clearly, and I had friends just coming uh, evangelizing me, bringing me to church. I was sitting under the preaching of God's word. Uh, and I really saw college students living faithfully for God. And I, it was clear to me, I was like, I'm wearing a Halloween mask. Mm. These people mm. really believe this. Um, and it was, it was kind of fork in the road, like Psalm one, which will you be righteous or wicked? Uh, and by God's grace, I heard the gospel preached and, uh, yeah, I was I was reading this in the in Genesis the other day about God lifting reproach, and he he certainly did that for me through Christ. So uh, that's when I was converted. Uh, soon after, desire started desiring the things of the ministry. So I'm an assistant pastor here at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Um, married to my wife Meg, we have two kids. We live here in Washington D.C. And then started writing about so Washington D.C. known is Chocolate City uh, for its African... Given its African-American population, which is... Uh, even that's historically changing. But uh, started uh, really uh, being burdened for this conversation about race. Honestly, I mean, th- it's a hard question because I've thought about this in some sense my entire life. I mean, being I remember in fifth grade when there were racial tensions. Mm-hmm. Uh, in sixth grade when there were racial tensions at this diverse school I went to. Um, but I think when the kind of onslaught of uh, of na- of national news came about over shootings, so we can talk about Mike Brown five years ago, that anniversary was just in August. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to see how divisive uh, Christians were being. So I want to be clear, I don't think these issues themselves were divisive. I think they revealed divisions. Sure. Uh, and those divisions were burdensome to me. Yeah. Uh, and I think Satan hates the unity of the church. And I was burdened to uh, work against that. Wow. Um, Isaac, that's uh, really encouraging. We thank God for your testimony of, of how God saved you and has really used you in the church to be a voice to talk about these issues. Um, I think we need more people and leadership in the church to have hard conversations, especially around race. Uh, I know as Korean American minorities, in yeah, the we're church, not black. Kevin and I are not. Yeah, black. we're Korean American <laughs> minorities. Yeah, we're, we're not, not black. We don't. We don't. We don't face the same black and white tensions. Uh, but we've felt some of that tension of being a minority in America. Sure. Uh, and so we certainly understand. And so we ourselves definitely have a heart for this topic as mm-hmm. well. And so mm. we're glad we can talk about it. Um, 
we know that racial reconciliation, like you said before, is a hot topic in some ways, right? It's uh, it can be divisive in society, uh, and especially even now in the reform spectrum as a whole, it's been quite divisive. So let's let's start with a couple of definitions, so we're all on the same page, so we can wise. yeah can be talking about the same things. So Merriam-Webster says the word woke <laughs> is being aware of and actively attentive to important facts and issues, especially around race and social justice. But is that like the second definition? Like, does it say the state of waking up from slumber? Okay, yes, that is the that is <laughs> the sorry, I, I more know. urban dictionary <laughs> slang. Okay, I it is a secondary that, definition, right, but I think it's because of the relative popularity right, of that term. Right, no, right. So, I mean, we, Isaac, we want to ask you, is that is that term helpful? Like, do you agree with that, that definition of woke? Should we be using that term? Yeah, I mean, um, it's a it's a good question. Should we be using uh, language like that? And we brothers, we always want to go back to the scripture and let them be our guide for everything we do for mm-hmm. faith and practice. So, sure. uh, text I refer to regularly in this conversation is Ephesians four, uh, verse twenty nine. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. So there's a rule, but only such is good for building up, yeah. as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Mm. So often in this conversation, I think a good prayer uh, is, uh, Lord, let me not cause any unnecessary offense. So to be clear, we are all, I mean, you guys are ministry-minded. Uh, just by virtue of being a Christian, the, the gospel never wins a heart without offense, right? So uh, it's a part of being offended is the deal of sharing the gospel, right? Um, but that's a necessary offense. Uh, we don't want to cause any unnecessary offense. So with the term like woke, uh, I'm asking myself, there are some people who will know what I mean by that term and some who will trip up over it. So is it worth them tripping up over it uh, for me to use that term? Probably not. So it depends. if I'm going to be in a more white evangelical space, I'm going to be more careful about that term. If I'm sitting with you guys in a coffee t- at a coffee shop, we're joking around, uh, I'll, I'll probably use the term with freedom of conscience. Uh, so that's my general governor on, on, on the word. So after like a church service, can I just go to Kevin and say, stay woke, my brother? <laughs> <laughs> can I do that? I guess not in public. Can you do that? Do you have freedom in Christ to do that? Yes. Okay. Is it wise? It's not sin. Yeah. Is yeah. it wise? I mean, there's so many other better things you could say to Kevin after church. I think, uh, hey, brother, keep trusting in Christ. Like keep, sure. keep yeah. leaning yeah. on Christ. So I mean, I, I would I, encourage that probably. I mean, I was more so kind of thinking about the Merriam-Webster definition. You know, stay woke, my brother. You know, aware of and attentive to the important facts and issues. Second definition. I mean, no, I mean, yes. Yeah. I, I think you want to, I mean, I'm happy for Christians to exhort one okay. another to pursue justice. Uh, and I think anytime we can put the Bible on our tongues, we shouldn't shy from doing that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Okay, that's great. And uh, I know you mentioned Ephesians. Uh, I, I was also thinking about Romans 14 as we were talking about this. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So Paul gives up some of his rights, uh, and we see that in 1 Corinthians uh, 9, to be paid as a minister of the gospel so that people would be saved and not stumbled by it. So in that same way, Isaac, I think you're setting a biblical foundation and pattern to maybe not use the word woke Mm. in certain settings uh, so that you might not stumble other people because of the baggage it carries. Okay, Isaac. So now let's define the word 
social justice. Mm, yes. Describe what it means. Why are there you know, certain people um, that are so upset about it when that word gets mentioned, especially in the church context? Uh, and you know, what, what does it mean to be a social justice warrior? Three easy questions. Great. Uh, <laughs> so here we go. Um, uh, whenever I, you guys uh, probably know this, if you've heard me teach Bible study here at the at the church, I often say the three most important rules of reading the scripture are context, context, context. Mm. And I really believe that's just the three most important rules of interpreting anything. Uh, any conversation has context, context, context right. to it. Yeah. And if you know the context, 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 it, you will be helped. So uh, if you think social justice is only a term that's been popularized uh, in the last five years, uh, you're going to think it's only pejorative, like this mm. term social justice warrior. I'll come to that in a minute. Uh, so I say that because I want to exhort your listeners uh, to do some good reading on this topic. Uh, you you want to grab something like Joe Carter has a good um, article at TGC. I think it's nine things you need to know about social justice, where he just walks through the history of the term that uh, this was actually uh, started in the 1840s. Uh, and it was actually a contribution to conservative political thought. Mm. Uh, but it wasn't until later on that then it started to move into a more progressive uh, thought. So he walks through different uh, m- ways of the definition. I'll just give a simple one mm. uh, that I don't think is a partisan definition where we're just talking about matters of right and wrong as applies to the issues of society at large. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that can look like sex trafficking, that can look like uh, climate stuff, that can look like uh, racism and different institutions. And, and God cares about those things, right? Those are yes. things that we should yes. we should care yes. about as Christians. Yes. And yes. So social justice is a good thing. Yes, yes. I, I, I positively affirm that. Okay. And, and I think even the critics would positively affirm that. We should care. I mean, anyone who's caring about abortion is caring about a social justice yeah. issue. Amen. Right? Yeah. Um, and we serve a God who is just, and we are made in the image of a God who is just. So we desire justice naturally. Uh, and yet, um, it was when social justice started to be conflated with being the gospel uh, that mm. people had an appropriate concern because social justice, while it is a uh, certainly a necessary implication of the gospel, so... so what, what do you mean by that? Social justice being the gospel? Yeah, so people would say that... Um, you know, planting trees, digging wells in Africa is as important mm-hmm. as sharing the sharing the gospel message. And in doing so, I mean, you'll have some people who will who'll take it to the extreme of this phrase that Sans, uh, Francis of Assisi actually never even said about preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh-huh. it's like, OK, my preaching the yeah. gospel is this digging this well um, <laughs> when the gospel is a message. Uh, it, it is of first importance. First Corinthians 15. And yet what the gospel should produce, so people, so people were concerned uh, about folks replacing gospel proclamation with uh, the, the doing of deeds. Just and the reason works. they're concerned is because the church is the, the only institution on earth that will preach the gospel. Right. The Red yeah. Cross will do good deeds, That's and we're right. thankful for that. Right. Salvation Army, they're going to do good deeds. Uh, but we want to preach the gospel, but that doesn't mean that we also don't do good deeds as well. So mm-hmm. the gospel should produce a people who are obeying everything I have commanded them. And part of what Christ has commanded us uh, most foundationally is to love our neighbor, which includes right. doing justice by our neighbor. That's really helpful. Um, and yeah, I think in, it, it is hard in, in society. It's been, uh, especially in recent times in Christian circles, we've seen kind of a lot of conflating of the gospel with social justice. 
Uh, and so that's been really helpful, especially uh, in, in New York in the past couple of years that I've been in New York. I've seen that just being so popular in the churches. Uh, and we talk about this kind of in another episode in, about relevant church. But I think a lot of that is, is driven by the desire to be relevant or to be accepted by society um, because the gospel is offensive at its core. Let's talk about social justice, something that everyone can get on the page about and kind of sneak in the gospel through the back page. Yeah, and that just doesn't work. I mean, uh, if society, if the world is applauding you, you just have to be very, you very, you really have to be very careful to listen to that kind of applause. Not mm-hmm. to say the church can't do things right. And Matthew talks about that the world may glorify God because of your good deeds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we're not, yeah, we're not going to sacrifice gospel proclamation just to make people feel better about themselves. That's great. So, okay, so then we've defined those two things. Let's take it back to kind of maybe race. Kevin, traditionally, how have evangelical and reformed churches done in regards to? race, like racial issues? I mean, what, they've been terrible, right? In so many ways, they haven't done a great job. I, the Southern Baptist Convention, you, Isaac, uh, Chuck, and I are, are part of right now as a result of being at CHBC, uh, was the largest Protestant denomination, uh, it is the largest Protestant denomination in North America currently, and in, in 1845, it was created explicitly over the issue of slavery, right? The Southern churches want to continue to be slaveholders. And so they split off from the Northern Baptists. Uh, J. Gresham Machen. Just, and just to hop in yeah, on that, yeah, Kevin, yeah. It's, it's they wanted the, the missionaries they, they were going to send out to continue to be slaveholders. Got it. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Uh, and J. Gresham Machen, uh, the guy who created Westminster Seminary, famous theologian, uh, and I'm very thankful for a lot of his works, but he fought with his colleague, B.B. Warfield, about racial integration at Princeton University. He was against it. Uh, and if you haven't read the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass, Douglass's autobiography talks uh, a lot about the hypocrisy he saw in the Southern Christian churches. Uh, I, if you haven't read that autobiography, every Christian should go out and, Mark, and I read mean, it today. I, did you did you suggest that book to us? I mean, we've been a lot of people at the church have been reading that book. I mean, Mark has been uh, passing it out like candy, yeah. but it is a it is a it is powerful. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, it's a good and book. it's a good read because it's it's. Again, context. It's removed. It's it's removed from this, and you get to see. Well, you know, I don't think it's disconnected, uh, but it's histor. It's historical document, a primary source. It's really useful. Mm, right. Mm. Yeah, and uh, I found personally the appendix of the book so moving. Um, I think you know the entire book is great, but it kind of the appendix almost becomes a culmination of this criticism on Christianity. Uh, I'll read an excerpt from it. He, Douglas says he's criticizing Christianity in the South. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slaveholding, woman-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial, and hypocritical Christianity of this land. He's talking about the South. We have men-stealers for ministers, woman-whippers for missionaries, and cradle-plunderers for church members. The man who wields a blood-clotted cowskin during the week fills the pulpit on Sunday and claims to be a minister of the meek and lowly Jesus. We have men sold to build churches, women sold to support the gospel, and babes sold to purchase Bibles for the poor heathen, all for the glory of God and the good of souls. I mean, that's 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 heavy. It's the the irony of the situation there that uh, slaves were thought less of as human 
than the heathen that people were trying to evangelize to in, in global missions. Yeah, yeah. It's haunting. It's scary. Uh, it, Douglas earlier in the narrative talks about the worst, the worst slave masters he, old, ha, he had uh, were all religious. And yeah, he and the Christian. more supposedly most devout. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. right. Uh, Isaac, talk to us a little bit about, um, I guess, you know, maybe even from a historical perspective and a, and a personal perspective, the segregation kind of, of of black and white churches that you've experienced, uh, and historically, how did it how did it get there? Yeah, when you ever, when when you talk about the black church, some people will push back and say there's no such thing. Uh, I remember even once bringing this up, and a, a pastor not here uh, at our church, but another pastor kind of laughed it off, uh, and I remember you know being hurt by that and mm. and realize and wanting this brother to realize that. Uh, the black church exists because of historic racism. Uh, so uh, if you read another biography of Douglas or you can read uh, Jamar Tisby just has a good chapter in his Color of Compromise on the creation of the black church with Richard Allen and some of these founding denominations. Uh, it's because uh, we believe it's because they weren't allowed, black members were not allowed to partake in the Lord's Supper, okay. which is a heinous mm-hmm. and I'd say uh, moving toward a heretical denial in of itself, uh, because what we believe is that Christ has made a new family. Um, so, uh, so, so that's when the black church was birthed, uh, because as you can see that they were not treated fairly and well in their churches. So they said, we'll start our own. Uh, and sadly, uh, while a lot of the, the laws have changed on the books, these, uh, segregations, they still exist today. Uh, have you experienced any of that growing up uh, in Washington, D.C.? Have you experienced that kind of firsthand it, within a church context? Uh, if you're talking about the segregation, I remember one uh, example um, that I cite where I say, where I remember a, a young white sister, uh, and again, I just want to be clear, I'm not talking, talking about any of our members with these stories. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to, um, I love this church, uh, and it wouldn't be responsible to do that. I'm not talking about my, our members. So a friend uh, came to me and simply said, uh, she was looking for a church at the time. She was about to move to college, and she said, uh, hey, can you recommend some churches for me in that area? And I was like, yeah, I know this one church is really good, really solid. And she stopped me, and she said, wait, it's, it's not like a black church, though, right? And I remember thinking that was such a cu- such a curious thing. Like, what are you assuming that you would stop me sharing about it to to clarify whether or not it's a black church? And if it was, what would be problematic about that? Right. Uh, so, so it's not as egregious, and this is what makes this conversation difficult. It's not as egregious as anyone barring me from the table. But the but those subtle. Uh, assumptions still exist in the minds of many people. I have my own assumptions that need to be interrogated, and that's part of the reason why these conversations are useful. We ought to interrogate these thoughts and see why we hold them. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think I, I think what I often hear from Christians nowadays uh, is that they admit that racism, like chattel slavery, was a, a real and it was a grievous sin, but, but it's a past sin. You know, and, and white Christians, majority Christians today usually say that they shouldn't be held for the sins of, of their forefathers. And then they go on to say, like, do we really need to talk about racial reconciliation in our churches today? Like, isn't racism a thing of the past? Uh, so I think a good question for us to, to kind of dwell on more today is, 
is this conversation really relevant? Uh, I know, Isaac, you once shared at an evening service about your experience to walking to church with your wife once, who your wife is uh, is white, um, and you experienced kind of some uh, harassment by someone who's coming. Uh, could, could you share with us a little bit about that experience? It's pretty recent. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago, we're walking uh, in one of the nicest neighborhoods in the world of Capitol Hill, uh, and it's 5 o'clock the afternoon, um, I'm holding my wife's hand, we're walking to church, a white man, uh, looks to be mid-30s, if not younger, walks past me, just starts screaming, or starts singing this song, Too Many Niggers, Too Many Niggers. Uh, I turned around and looked at him, uh, and honestly was was just so caught off guard and so angry. Uh, Then he looked at me and said... uh, uh, we have a rape problem in this country, and you're wow. surprised, nigger. Um, wow. So that, I mean, that was, uh, that's not the first time I've been called a nigger, but uh, that was easily the most egregious example. And I think sometimes people will hear that example. It is horrible and horrific, and I'm, I thank God there were two uh, white sisters from our congregation who encouraged me uh, deeply in that moment and I think kept me out of a physical altercation. So mm-hmm. I'm very thankful for them. Uh, but... Um, and I'm glad that, frankly, there were witnesses there besides me and yeah. my wife. Um, um, but, uh, you know, it, it, just to your question, Kevin, about this being relevant, so that that exists. So I think sometimes people say, well, everyone agrees that that's wrong. And that's not true. Not everyone agrees that that's wrong. People are still against interracial marriage and things like that. But even more so than that, uh, what we have are the effects of past racism still existing today. Yeah. So while the laws might be off the books, I often uh, use this example that those laws were matches, right? <sighs> They've been blown out. Praise God. We're thankful for that. Uh, because we we are wrong to have this conversation and not recognize progress that God has brought about. Uh, um, and yet... Um, we are still dealing with so many disparities that are self-perpetuating now. So it's I liken it to this. The match has been blown out, but the house is still on fire. And I often say this when I'm talking about systemic racism is that it's actually not so hard to see. It's actually the reality is we're so used to seeing it mm-hmm. that we just keep walking through the neighborhood like, yeah, that house has always been on fire. Wow. And then we conflate it with, well, personal agency, and then we can have a whole other episode about people saying... Uh, you know, well, it's their fault. Uh, yeah. And some of that has to be true. Uh, so we're not denying personal agency. Uh, and yet uh, I think it's too simplistic to simply allot the huge disparities we see today when we know the historical context simply to personal agency. Uh, and I think that's uh, a wrong assumption, an unfair assumption, um, and one that shows that uh, more research needs to be done. Wow. Isaac, uh, tell us a little bit about how your wife has handled um, some of the kind of the, I guess, the the hardships that you've had to go through uh, and some of the criticism that you face as you've talked about racial reconciliation. Uh, has this been really eye-opening for her in a lot of ways? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think if she were here, she would say yes. Uh, we joke, though, that my wife, I mean, my wife is like, she is she's incredible and she is a solid rock like we joke that i'm the, i am the emotional one in, in this relationship there is no there, what's her nickname again you call it uh, megatron that's right <laughs> yes, yes, yes. um and uh but she's not an evil leader of the decepticons but uh that's a digression um 
And, you know, so it takes a lot to get my wife excited. It takes a lot to get her down. 99% of the time, that is a tremendous blessing. So she weathers it well. She tells me to keep going. She encourages me. And she helps me not to take myself too seriously, all of which is a tremendous blessing to me in this conversation. That's great. Um, so now I, I kind of want to end our conversation, our, our time here, talking about a little bit about practical ways we could continue this conversation around our tables, um, as well as just how does Reformed theology on a practical level relate to how we should act as Christians who uh, care about racial reconciliation? So, uh, Isaac, I think it'd be helpful if you first kind of talked about uh, the work you're doing with United We Pray yeah. and the podcast you're doing and uh, some of the other kind of talks that you've given at CHBC, some of the practical things that you've given to to members. Sure. Um, so United We Pray, you can go to uwepray.com, the letter U, W-E, pray.com, uh, and you can see that United is a ministry devoted to praying about racial strife, especially between Christians. So I talked about that uh, earlier on, my burden for that. Uh, and I'm, I can, we care about all racial strife, but we especially care about uh, racial strife between Christians uh, because God gives the church and Christians a particular responsibility uh, to do good to all people especially those of the household of God. And that's because our unity, John 17, John 13, 35 says, testifies to the son, testifies to God. So Satan is really after our unity then, uh, because if we're, if we're, um, full of strife, then that teaches the world that, uh, God has not done much here. Um, and that he has, in fact, not sent his son. Um, so that's what we're doing at United We Pray. And we focus on prayer because I found that uh, when the conversation, you know, when the, I heard one uh, kind of, um, he was actually a conservative writer, but he, he, he called it the great awakening. What happened uh, kind of like five, six years ago uh-huh. around this conversation at least being reignited. Um, and it just seems so many people, I mean, I don't know if you guys are like me, I get on Twitter and just start getting discouraged mm. and it's oh, just yeah. so much chatter yeah. and I'm like, it's it a dumpster seems, fire on there sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it seems like there's so much horizontal conversation that I was concerned that there wasn't enough vertical conversation, even uh-huh. in my own life. Uh, I was like, I mean, the things we pray about are the things we care about, uh, typically, or the things we realize that we can't handle on our own. So... If I'm not praying about this issue, either I don't care that much about it or I think it's not uh, or it can be relatively handled on my own. And again, if you look at the context, we are up against something huge that has four centuries of freight behind it. Uh, So I read a sermon uh, by Francis Grimke uh, that he gave in 1898. and I think it's really historical to see these positive examples from, or really helpful to see these positive examples from history. Uh, so um, I think it's helpful to see the terrible ones as well. Uh, but to recognize, I mean, Francis Grimke standing up in Washington, D.C. as a pastor, gives this sermon called God and Prayer as Factors in the Struggle. It's one of the best sermons I've ever read in my life. Uh, and it convicted me terribly. Uh, and I wanted to say that if we're going to be about this work of racial reconciliation, racial justice, whatever we want to call it, uh, we must do more than pray. But we certainly, as Christians, cannot do less. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to give people the on-ramp to say, at least be praying about these so things. So that's step one. Step one, we must pray. Yeah, yeah. We, we have to rely on the, the grace of God. Uh, so, I mean, typically I encourage to pre- people to pray and to educate themselves. Uh, and that because, and yet to be concerned with only simply uh, having the, it's really easy to have the podcast conversation to, to be about the conversation, quote unquote, which is doing something. Uh, but 
Grimke says uh, that these things, they must be lived down. They just can't be talked down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we want to go about moving our hands and feet in our respective spheres of influence in life uh, to those uh, who we see are affected by these issues. Yeah. Uh, and that can look different for a lot of pe- different people. And the reason I think it's important to say that is because I think often when, when we have this conversation, brothers and sisters will say, well, how do you want me to fix it? Uh, and anyone who's gotten in an argument with their wife knows that... Uh, you don't just fix it, right? <laughs> like, you don't just, you don't just, there are many things that need to happen. Uh, and the worse the argument, the, the more work there is to be done. Uh, so that's why I think, I mean, we could have another episode about this. The Good Samaritan is a really useful parable because I think rather than a fix-it mentality, it gives us a faithfulness mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in this, if you're trying to go about this work with the idea of getting off of of kind of taking the exit after you go a couple miles, you will not last long. Yeah, uh, you're going to take the first exit you see. Uh, but what what we're talking about is a lifelong struggle uh, to be faithful in this area of our lives that will end when Jesus comes back or when we're in the ground. Um, so we want to be faithful uh, because this is a lifestyle; it's not an event. Yeah, and I know you've given a couple talks on racial reconciliation at THBC. Uh, what are some of the practical things that you've kind of encouraged members at church to do? Uh, whether I know one of the things was build cross-cultural, cross-racial friendships yeah. with one another. Uh, you and Jonathan Lehman uh, were a great example of that up there. Yeah, me and Lehman gave a, uh, a talk a few years ago. I think it's called Race, Grace, and the Church. Um, so, yeah, I mean, building friendships is great. Uh, I, I heavily lean on just educating, reading, uh, is great. Obviously praying is great. Uh, and yet we have to realize, I mean, when we're talking about some of these things, I think people have a right criticism, uh, that say, uh, well, you and I being friends is a good thing, positively good. And yet this, the, the, the disparity still exists. Um, uh, and it's not to say, I mean, this is where people, you know, cry Marxism and things like this. I'm not saying that what we're looking for is just necessarily equity among all people and all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we are looking for is justice uh, and, and doing right by people. Um, and so that's the question I think people should pray about is, Lord, how can I go about doing right uh, in a way uh, in light of the things we're talking about? Um, and that's a good question to give yourself to. Yeah, that's great. And so it really does take more of a heart change than simply just changing your actions. You're you're saying it, changing your actions is good, but it, it requires a change of the heart and kind of a a shift in mentality about how you think about race. Yeah, for some uh, yeah, for some people, I mean, there's going to be some people who are uh, to use your guys' favorite word, too woke, uh, and they've gone too far in the other direction. I mean, all of us think we're balanced in the in the middle, um, and that's where I think we just have to keep reforming ourselves according to the scripture, uh, and let that and let that be our marching order. So um, we don't want to do this because this is a hot topic uh, on Twitter right now. We want to do this because God cares about His church, yeah. and yet race is such a foundational issue to this country that it, it just has to be a part of our discipleship in thinking about this because it, it's, it's a part of how we got started here. Uh, so I, there's also, I mean, it's a, it's a part of the fabric of society, this, this idea, this notion of race and its, uh, its effects on our uh, relationships, on our systems, on our institutions. Absolutely. So to close out our time today, I want 
each of us, just quick roundtable, uh, each of us one thing that has been the most encouraging that we've seen or heard in, in recent times about race and the church. One thing that's been the most encouraging yeah. that we've seen and heard. Yeah. Good question. I mean, just that. I, I mean, I would say that God is at work. I I, I remain hopeful. Um but I have conversations regularly with brothers and sisters who are who are truly convicted about this uh, and who uh, see the need to go about doing uh, living lives of mercy and justice. And I'm encouraged by that. And just it might appear to be small steps of faithfulness. But uh, if God teaches us anything in the scriptures is that small is a completely fine amount for him to use mightily. So I'd say that. Mm. Charles? I'll, yeah, I'll say I'll say this church. You know, I came into this church. Um, not having thought through much of this topic, um, just more so maybe about my own struggles, but developing categories here, brothers and sisters willing to talk about it. I mean, just this week, I mean, we're doing this podcast, but even before this podcast, I've had several conversations. Um, so yeah, I just say I'd be encouraged by this church. Yeah, that's great. And uh, I, I would say similarly, I've seen uh, so many cross cultural and racial friendships that have developed at this church, uh, especially and marriages. And marriages, interracial marriages. Um, and that is such an encouraging sign that, that it's not weird, mm. um, that it's almost normal to assume that you could marry someone that of not the same race as you. Mm. I, that was not a norm for me even back in college mm. as I thought about that. Um, and so th- that's been extremely encouraging. I think also uh, it's been great to see uh, our pastor Mark up there who constantly is kind of pushing um, leadership in the church that are not majority, um, but are who may be overlooked in certain circles, um, but he's giving them platforms and is also oftentimes encouraging people to to read and to learn. He's He's been giving out 300 copies of right. narrative of uh, Frederick Douglass. So that's been extremely encouraging to see. And just, just on that real quick, I think that's because... Um uh, you brothers are doing this, um, but we don't want anyone listening to this to think, oh, CHPC has it figured out, because we obvi- we don't. Mm, uh, yeah. We are trying to be faithful <laughs> as any church, and I think Mark would uh, recognize that. And We don't have all the answers. Yeah. Yeah. There's still work to be done. Great. Isaac, thanks for joining us for this episode. And thanks so much for episode number three. Uh, We hope you all enjoyed this episode and the discussion we had. See you next week on Reformed-ish.